Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It's July the 22nd in the evening. The Orioles have just taken three of the first four games from the Cleveland Indians. Maybe they'll go. For, uh, maybe they'll get the sweep tomorrow. That would be pretty cool. But anyway, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime. He's Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? You know, last week we specifically said this is the week the Orioles need to start to take care of business because this is their last chance against sort of a, a softer schedule. And so far, it looks pretty much like they're taking care of business. Five wins in a row, and the AL East is about to return on the 24th when the Rays come in to Camden Yards. So, yeah, the Orioles are finishing strong in their uh, their stretch of non-AL East action. So, Andrew... I checked out that website, that Amazon.com thing yeah, that yeah. you turned me on to, and I found the Earl Weaver book on there. It's nice. And, it's uh, like that little corner bookstore that only you and I know yeah, about. Yeah, and, and I ordered it, and it has been shipped, and it's on the way, although it's not here yet. So. Wow. Next time. Prepare to have your mind blown. Next time we talk, perhaps we can say a little about that on the podcast. I don't know. I don't know really what to expect. Just I know everybody tells me I should have read it for like years. So, well, yeah, you really should. We'll uh, we'll see what I find in there. You can only write that wrong today. So. And I ordered an edition that had an epilogue written in 2002 with some of the Earl's thoughts on how the game had evolved. Although I'm sure the game has evolved even more in the ten years since then. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> it's kind of weird how, to think. Because I mean, what? That was the tail end of the. Uh, the steroid era, if you will. So, mm-hmm. whatever he had to say about baseball then has probably been completely reinvented. Yeah, so, even for that era. I'm sure a keen baseball mind like Earl would be able to keep up with all the, what's going on. Well, yeah. it'll be cool to to see your reaction. Yeah. To it. So, so everyone, if if you feel like it, you can look forward to that, and uh, maybe we'll talk about it eventually. But for tonight, we've got the Orioles roller coaster, and I'm just pretty much strapped in and. I'm riding, whatever, because a week up ago... Up and down and up and down. Yeah, really, a week ago, it seemed like the Orioles were never going to win another game. And uh, since I wrote that, they've won five straight games. So, it's... Uh, it's. Are they ever going to lose again? Yeah, and right now, are they ever going to lose again? Well, Tommy Hunter is pitching uh, tomorrow, <laughs> Monday, so... Five runs all earned. I don't care, yes, five runs all earned. I don't care how good... The Orioles have been over the last five games. There's nothing that will make me feel good about Tommy Hunter versus any baseball team. There are two two truisms that come to mind, and they're a little banal, but bear with me. Uh, One is that uh, you're never as good as you look when things are going well, and you're never as bad as you look when things are not going well. See, I knew that was going to be one of them. Uh, and again, bear with me because these are totally obvious and boring. And the other is that uh, momentum is uh, your momentum is only as good as your next day's pitcher. And in the Orioles' case, I mean, on any given day, their next day's pitcher has a pretty good chance of being sort of a uh, strap yourself in kind of a, a deal. Right. I mean, Tommy who Hunter. even knows? I just don't know what to make out of any of these guys. And, you know. It certainly well, was I encouraging. Mean, you, you know a little bit to know about Tommy Hunter. Yes. Well, except for Tommy Hunter, who I expect to be consistent, but consistently bad is the only kind of consistency I would 
I would expect from him. But, uh, I mean, Gonzalez, who the heck knows? I mean, we'd never heard of the guy two months ago. Then all the stories were like, well, he's doing good in AAA. They'll probably call him up and have him be a starter. And then, like, five days after that was, well, Brian Mattis is getting lit up or Jake Arrieta is getting lit up or whoever, and he's back in the big leagues. And then Tillman, well, it was nice to see him have a second good outing against a team that wasn't Seattle. Now, if only he could put two good outings in a row. It's really the big... The big trick. Right. I mean, the Indians are respectable, but they're not I mean, the AL you know, East. Right. Beating up on the Indians and the Twins is is good. I mean, you have to be able to do that. But, I mean, far be it for me to be like, oh, yeah, they're totally back now. When I mean, let's see what they do against some of the big boy opponents. Although the Rays, as far as their team no, the offense, Rays are, are not not, uh, not in the same category as the Yankees and Red Sox, or even the Blue Jays. Blue Jays, right. And especially because Evan Longoria still hurt. Now, of course, oh. the Orioles aren't in the category of those guys either, but yeah. that's another another story well, entirely. Right. I mean, and that that is sort of going back to the other thing. You're, you're never as good as you look when things are going well, and you're never as bad as you look when things are going poorly. Well, Andrew, the Orioles have Omar now, so I think that, yeah. that's seriously responsible for some bolstering. Just, just the, You must uh, have been just dying, waiting for the Orioles to acquire an Omar. Well, you know, Andrew, my, my previous favorite thing to do was to try to find the greatest The Wire lookalike out of the current team every year. For instance, maybe nobody out there ever really noticed, but a few years ago, if you want to go back to Garrett Olson who very yeah, much looked like I, I this, And then after that, there was Ty Wigginton, who ha- had a strong resemblance to Herc, just in that they were kind of roly-poly white guys mm-hmm. with, you know, a bit in the face. But um, Ty Wigginton, actually, one of my coworkers is like the spitting image of him. Is that right? Really yeah. That, that would freak me out, I think. <laughs> Uh, that's that's. He can probably I mean, play it's hard base to about as well as Ty Wigginton could as well. On the wire, but, so, or, but but since Ty Wigginton left, there hasn't. Well, okay. Been left, so, so so who who is it right now? No, I don't know who it is right now. I was trying to figure that out before the season started, and there was like nobody that was a good prospect of looking alike, uh, looking like any of the wire characters. So, like, I mean, I can't just do the baseball analyst comp and just say any black guy looks like you know Omar or something. Well, that's kind of what I was waiting for. No. No, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. There's, oh, well, there's, this guy, he looks like Wallace. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there's not, just not really a, not really a good look like. But now we have Omar, Omar Quintanilla, acquired from the Mets for a lot of future no. considerations, which probably like means the, like $50,000. I like what Kevin Goldstein said on the, uh, on the Twitter uh, somebody asked him what the Mets could hope to get back from the Orioles for Quintanilla, and he said a nice Christmas card. Well, maybe that's exactly what they'll get—a nice Christmas card with like a, you know, a gift card to the Outback Steakhouse in there or something. It's a good line. Well, you know the Mets are always pinching pennies, so they could re-gift that to one of their employees and <laughs> look like generous. Uh, General. Yeah, it's it's weird. I was I was at the Mets game over the weekend. I actually I did not watch much of the Orioles, if any, 
maybe one or two at bats. Well, you better keep on not watching because if they're gonna, yeah, right. you're not watching. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I did listen to Joe Angel and Fred Manfra on the radio this afternoon driving back home, but I was at the Mets game on Saturday. So that was where my focus was, obviously. And uh, Mets fans hate Jason Day. Really? Like, they just hate that guy. And it's all because of how much money he makes. And it's like, that's so strange to me that you would, I mean, I guess it's not too different from, like, hating on, like, Michael Gonzalez. But, like, they're New York fans, and they're like, that guy, it's not worth his contract. I'm going to boo the crap out of him. Well. And they did. And he played very poorly. (laughs) So. He's, uh. Not, not not doing well under the spotlight, I guess, huh? Well, you know, he went through some concussion stuff yeah. and some more injury stuff. And... Well, just looking at his Fangraphs page, he's batting 196 with a 265 on base this yeah. year. So, I mean, there's there's no no defending him. He also made a terrible, terrible defensive read in the outfield while we were there. Well, it's nice to know that the Orioles aren't the only team that can have these kinds of issues although yeah, but you know, you know it was funny because i remember when the mets signed jason bay there was some sort of uh vague optimism like oh we're spending money we're getting like the big star you know there was the overall sense of we need pitching not hitting but you know hard to complain jason bay at the time big star in boston and he's you know a pariah and among mets fans anyway but like all right dickie who came in as a relief appearance, surprise, surprise relief appearance. He is, he's got to be the most popular guy in New York. I mean, that could be the most popular guy among all Major League Baseball fans. Yeah, I mean, it really could. And like, at the beginning of even this year, you know, do you think anybody cared about R.A. Dickey? Even Mets fans? Only, I would say, knuckleball fetishists cared about R.A. Dickey before the year started, just because... They knew he was going to be the last, the last scion of the, uh, the proud and noble yeah. lineage of the knuckleball. Yeah. And well, he's probably not going to be the last one, but it, it was really cool, you know. Last in the present day, I should say. They got into the uh, clap, 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 clap. All right, Dicky, and that was a lot of fun to to be a part of. But you know, I I couldn't help but notice like maybe there's a, a lesson there. Whenever, like, we're talking about the Orioles acquiring a, uh, any fading superstar, I know you're going to want to to probably pinpoint this conversation to Vlad Guerrero <clears throat> from last year, but I don't just mean him. And part of the defense for signing a player like that is almost universally he will get people to buy tickets and, and and come to the ballpark. But it's, it really seems like the truth is if you find good players, it makes no difference whatsoever what their name is, because if they're good, they become super popular. And if they're bad, it doesn't matter what their name is. They become super terrible amongst the fan base. I mean, it's not like the Orioles had any superstar names to start out the year. It was just, they started winning and people have been coming to the stadium Right, like, and now, like, like the total attendance for the Tiger series a week ago was like over a hundred thousand for three games, and 
you know, that's pretty great for the Orioles who are used to being in the cellar uh, by this time, firmly ensconced in the cellar. And, you know, 100,000 people are coming out over three games to watch. That's, uh, you know, that's pretty good. They're good. They're they're a good team. And and they have players who look really good. And, you know, it it turned out this is sort of getting off track a little bit. But you don't need that established closer because, you know, you can find those guys. All it takes is one season and suddenly you have a quote-unquote proven closer as long as you stick the right guy in the role. Right. You don't need that established veteran starter to be your quote-unquote ace. When you can find that guy, and you know the feeling amongst the fan base is Jason Hamill, he may not be quote unquote an ace, whatever that means, but he's the stopper in my opinion. Well, he looks like one when you consider what we've seen over the last since Eric Bedard was traded from the Orioles. Basically, Hamill is just you know. You know, I, I wasn't like a veteran guy. He's pre, pre-free agency. You know, um, he's just, he's been around a little bit, but he's not like Kevin Millwood where you were bringing in like, oh, we need this guy to teach all the other kids. The mentor. To- you know, Andrew, I think the money thing may be part of what is the factor there because part of what annoyed me about Kevin Millwood was just knowing that not only did McPhail go out of his way to, trade for Millwood. Not that not that we really miss Chris Ray at no, that, at that point and has been terrible since he was traded away. Even since before but that. The Orioles traded for him and I believe they paid him nine million dollars of the twelve million dollars that he made the season that season and uh and Texas paid him like three million. So mm-hmm. it was just just this high dollar acquisition that was seemed completely pointless and then to prove to be pointless because he had a 510 ERA over 31 starts. Right. And it, it wasn't especially surprising either. Because, I mean, he looked like, well, he, in, in 2007 and 2008, he also had over a 5 ERA. 2009, I think he got a little lucky with some of his statistics and ended up with a 367 ERA. And then Shock sent him over to AL East in 2010, and he's back over 5. Uh... Yeah, I think Andy McPhail was the only person who did not see that coming. And that just annoyed me about him. And then Vlad was like the same thing, because the, well, the circumstances I mean, of acquiring of him was, they were like, well, the Orioles are only offering like $4 million, and they're not going to offer any more than that. And it's like, okay, if Vlad doesn't want to pay play for $4 million, then, you know, whatever. Just go hang out in the Dominican Republic or whatever he was going to do. And then all of a sudden it was like, the Orioles are going to pay Vlad $7.5 million. And it's just like, dude, this is stupid. And there's He's nobody like that on there's nobody like that on the Orioles this year. Unless you count Kevin Gregg, who got signed by the previous regime. So that doesn't even count. And, I mean, you, even Jim Tomei, Jim Jam, finally matched a couple taters. MGM. was pretty exciting, I yeah, have to say. Yeah, just seeing oh, that's, that's stupid. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Andrew, Stacy also missed his first Orioles tater because she was uh, out in the concourse getting food. So oh. she, was, she was in Cleveland to watch the Orioles and didn't even see her. <laughs> Clearly, the thing that Orioles need is for Stacy to go to Cleveland and me to go to New York. Yeah. The rest of the season. Apparently so. 
or Stacy has to follow the team around or something like that. That that yeah, so. secret thing. But anyway, I mean, Tomei is making like I think the Orioles will probably pay him 750k or something like that. It might even. Yeah, it's so. It's even if it doesn't work out, it's not like there's that. Oh, this money that is just getting flushed down the toilet. It's and you know hopefully it will work out because Tomei has, if not shown the power of when he was a younger man, still has pretty good plate discipline, which is mm-hmm. probably why, of course, the small sample size of 14 games, but. He's got like well, a 355 on base percentage because he's not afraid to take a walk. Well, you know, and that sort of uh, can lead us directly into uh, this, this trade market. When, because uh, the Orioles are probably going to look at mostly starting pitching, I would imagine, whether that's Jason Vargas or uh, someone else. Not Zach Grinky or Cole Hamels because they can't afford those guys, but. Um, you know, if they bring in a Jason Vargas, he's probably going to get, what, 10 starts? Maybe maybe a little more, maybe a little less for the rest of the season. And that is inherently, just like you just said, that's a small sample yeah, size. Yeah, it's not a big deal, even if he comes over and bombs, as long as the Orioles don't, like, trade Jonathan Scope to get Jason Vargas, which I don't... I don't sure, that would happen. but, you know, like, he could come over and be really good... Like I mean, we know Jason Marcus isn't really good, but he could come over and be be pretty good and and really bolster the Orioles down the, the the playoff race here at the end that they still somehow find themselves in. Tied for that second wild card. Um, or he could totally bomb out and, and just drag the Orioles out of that race. Yep. You know, we saw. Last year, I guess, the, the Tigers traded for Doug Fister, who, again, you know, Doug Fister, like, he's okay, but nothing special. And then you know, I think he was worth, like, three or four wins down the stretch for the Tigers, the one-something ERA. Absolutely crazy. Some right into the playoffs. Yeah. And that sort of came out of nowhere. Nearly pitched him into the World Series. Well, helped right, him in right. the World Series. Um, and it, it's really hard to see... You know, when, when you're talking about these trade targets, like, there's just so much variation in, in what they can do over 10 games or 9 games that uh, it's impossible to tell, you know, how how good they actually are if you're just looking at that, I guess. And, and it's hard to tell how good they'll be if you're just looking at how good they actually are because there's just there's too much noise. It, it's, it's the same thing with uh, you're never as as bad as you look when you're playing poorly and you're never as good as you look when you just won five in a row from the twins and the, and the Indians. Yep. So I don't know. So, you know, and and they might not even make a move anyway, or if they do, it'll just be more in the margins, like in the vein of an Omar Quintanilla or a Jim Tomei or Jim Tomei or, you know, whatever else guy might just become available for extremely low. Yes. And, you know, that, that could be exactly, you know, they could just shoot a bullseye, basically, and, and and pick up some starting pitcher that I have no idea who it is, but he just comes in and gets hot. and Like Wandy Rodriguez or something like that. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'm not even sure they can afford Wandy Rodriguez, but you never know. And it just takes them right past the Angels and the, and the Athletics and 
the White Sox and the Tigers and all these other guys right into the playoffs or a playoff. That would be the craziest thing. Yeah. If that happened. I mean, you can't, you know, right now we just can't expect anything like that to happen, but we're looking at what? 65 games left, 67 games Today left. Today was game 95. So there's uh, a, you know, the, the 67 left. Yeah. Games there are left. The easier it is to be like, well, anything can happen. So the Orioles are right there. They, they can go for it. But I mean, anything has happened over the first 95 games. It's been 95 games, and the Orioles are in in a, in a playoff position. Not that there's any way that if the season ended today, there would be playoffs. But Right, because that would be like some sort of natural disaster. Andrew, I saw Roar from 34 on Twitter wrote earlier, if the season ended today, the Orioles would be one of 30 teams on strike, and uh, yeah. I thought you would get a kick out of that. Yeah. Well, I heard, uh, I guess, uh, Dave Johnson and Tom Davis after the game on the radio were trying to break out, like, if the season ended today, and the Athletics beat the Yankees today, which they did. Yeah, they got their 11th walk-off of the year. Yeah, crazy. Um, and, and if the Angels lose tonight, which I do not know what they're going to do because we're recording before that's ended, then the Orioles would totally be... And I was just like, you're like going through like all these machinations. Stop it. There's, There's two still, months to go. Games to go. Yeah. But, you know, they're right there. So This is more heck? excitement than we've had really in more than the past seven years. Because even if you go back to 2005, it was 51 and 51 was at that point was as good as they would be for the rest of the year. And now the Orioles are 51 and 44. So uh, it's not like, well, I mean, they could, they certainly could lose the next seven games after I say that and be right back in the same boat. Thanks a lot, Mark. But yeah, I'll knock on wood. And uh, after this podcast is over, I'm going to go outside, turn around three times and <laughs> spit. Because you don't want to provoke the wrath of the whatever high atop the thing. And anyone out there who knows what I just referenced, you get a cookie. No. The West Wing. That was from an episode of The West Wing. Very good show. But anyway. uh, Well, I guess wrong. uh, So the Orioles, as long as they don't lose the next eight games, basically, are are above the 2005 pace for now, which is cool. (laughs) It's nice to finally say that, right? Yeah, I was actually looking at it yesterday and talking a little bit with uh, Dan Moroz on Twitter. And... The, so the Orioles were in the midst of losing, because yesterday, the exact date in 2005, July 21st, uh, I believe they were 50 and 44, which the Orioles, after winning Saturday, were 50 and 44. But the difference for the 2005 Orioles was that as they were 50 and 44, that was like their second loss in an eventual six-game losing streak, whereas the Orioles of this year made it to that 50 and 54 as the fourth win of a five-game and possibly counting winning streak. So feels a lot different. But on the other hand, that big run, deferen- or run differential beast is waiting, lurking ominously for these Orioles. And that was, in fact, a big difference because the 2005 vintage Orioles were at that 50-44 and 44 record where uh, I think it was plus 19. Mm-hmm. And the current Orioles are minus 44. Mm. So... You know, as long as they can keep rolling along and basically saying "suck it, Pythagoras," then that's good. But uh, if that if that boogeyman catches up to them, position, right? 
you know, yeah. it's it's it still could get not good. But well, uh, on the other hand, yeah. on the yeah. other other hand, whatever number I it's all, I, it's I, all banked. Um, yeah. A lot of those negative runs. One way to look at it is it was just like solely Texas and Los Angeles that contributed like so many of those negative runs is one way to look is at that, it. Is that really like the good way of looking and at it? On, like, on the other hand, other, other hand, whatever hand I'm on now. Yeah. Other, other, other. Uh, the, the, uh, the guys who were responsible for so many of that, e.g. Ryan Mattis, Jake Arrieta, have been banished to Norfolk. Right, well, Tommy not, Hunter is still. That's not fair either. I mean, Jake Arietta didn't put up all those runs himself. No. Uh, he had a lot of help from Wilson Bedenead and Mark Reynolds yep. and whoever the heck's playing left field, Chris Davis, and, you know, the second base defense of him great either. I know uh, Ryan Flaherty sounded like he looked pretty good out there. Yeah, he today. made a couple of decent plays today. He had a nice running uh, catch of a soft liner into center field. I think that was the most impressive for me. Because it was I mean, like, it was one of those plays where even Brian Roberts in his prime would have kind of waved his glove and would have just gone out of his reach because Brian Roberts is short, but Ryan Flaherty isn't, and he just ranged for it and made a nice leap and uh, kept his stride and kept a base hit from being on the board. Wasn't Well, uh, yeah, regardless, I mean, the, the point is those pitchers, they were not pitching well, although you can certainly argue until you blow in the face about Jake Arrieta, Defense has been a huge problem. Right, and, and it doesn't look like... It's going to continue to be a Right, problem. it's not like that suddenly has been fixed. Uh, just um, because now they can play Omar Quintanilla in the 8th and ninth inning at second base. Right. Which is what happened the last two days. But, like, it's, it's a little weird to me to say the good news is the Orioles are even against everybody but the Angels and the Rangers. And so... Two you know, teams that are going to be, you know, right, in the playoff really hunt or in the playoffs. And, and totally even against everybody else. Like, you know, the Yankees weren't playing especially well when the Orioles last saw them. So that's going to come back around. And now, outside of this weekend, the Yankees have been really, really good for the past two two months, basically. Yeah, the Yankees just lost four in a row, and the Orioles have won five in a row, and they're six games behind in the American League East. Right. That's just how then, crazy that's that Yankees uh, June was, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, that that doesn't fill me with a ton of confidence that against really good teams, the Orioles are, are particularly bad. But, you know, I guess that's it's to be determined, I suppose. So coming into town this week are the Rays with a plus two run differential, and they're 49 and 47. They are eight and a half games behind in the American League East. So the Orioles are two and a half games ahead of the Rays. But of course, and if, if they get swept, then just that's three games, you know, in the wrong direction. So whatever. Well, you know, the Rays are the Rays fans are thinking. Oh, we're gonna is, we're gonna feast yeah. on the Orioles. Well, not necessarily that, but just this is the opportunity that that they need to to jump back in there a little bit. So the matchups in this upcoming series, the Tuesday game is going to be Jeremy Hellickson versus Wei Yin Chen. So a couple lefties. It's pretty, pretty interesting. That yeah. could be a good matchup. Uh, Wednesday is going to be David Price versus Miguel Gonzalez. So uh, that favors the Rays a good bit. Price yeah. is having himself a very good season. 
264 ERA over 19 games, 126 innings. That's pretty good. Gonzalez, I mean, who knows? He could keep keep throwing well. That'd be great. That'd be that'd be something. It's like I mean, like with Jason Hamill, the Orioles seem to have just basically brought him to the right place at the right time when he had learned whatever the two seam fastball that uh, was not, you know, something he was using in Colorado, and now all of a sudden it works for him in Baltimore. And you know, maybe they did the same with Miguel Gonzalez, and they just found him at the right time, taught him the right thing, and suddenly, you know. For for you know, fifty percent of the season he'll uh, he'll be a good story. I mean, let's let's wait and wait and see. Right. Because if he gets lit up for like seven runs in four innings on Wednesday, right, then suddenly, you'll be all like, ah, oh, well, that's what happens when you sign a guy out of the Mexican League in March. And then the Thursday afternoon matchup is going to be James Shields versus Chris Tillman. Assuming all these guys are still on these respective teams. Right. Unless unless there's a trade made or you know, injury currents or whatever and shields not as good 439 era he's made 20 starts 131 innings so he's definitely eating innings but not getting as good results as his rotation mate probably because james shields giving up more home runs 17 home runs allowed in those 131.1 innings so i don't know what the weather's going to be like on thursday but maybe in a day game if it's hot that'll help the orioles uh Orioles love to hit home runs. Yeah, but they also love to give up home runs, and if Tillman is bad, then he'll elevate everything, and the Rays will also hit a lot of home runs. So, you know, whatever. Yeah, you you just don't know what's going to happen, but maybe it'll be good. You know, it's interesting, the Shields-Tillman matchup. Very, very interesting to me because uh, James Shields uh, does not throw his fastball very much. He tries very hard to throw it. As little as possible. And uh, I assume that's just because his fastball is not very good. And Chris Tillman, of course, has a lot of velocity on his fastball now, but it still looks pretty uh, flat, straight as an arrow to me when I've seen it. Um, And he has had a lot of trouble commanding the fastball, but his curveball specifically dude that pitch so it is really it is looking so good so far <laughs> and and you know it reminds me exactly of mike uh, mucina well no okay no that's ridiculous come on well i mean talk about somebody who had an i mean well it's a different pitch so messina threw the spike curve yeah or the knuckle, the knuckle curve, curve right the it's very very difficult to command uh, very few pitchers can throw it and can throw it effectively at the major league level so, you know, that's a total total different class of, of pitch. But uh, I, I kept saying, you know, Tillman back in 2009, in September was a September call-up, and he had that curveball that just burned into my, my brain, striking out Nick Swisher. Nick Swisher screaming in obscenity into the New York night. On the rainy night, you were in the pool... Hall or I was in the pool hall. That's right. Yeah. So you know, it's still it's still there. It still looks so good. But his fastball, you know, maybe he needs to sort of emulate uh, James Shields and, and throw his fastball significantly less than his other pitches. Yeah, if he can't get that fastball down in the zone, they will catch up to him eventually. Even if he's throwing it, you know, 97 or whatever. Major league hitters will get you. It's interesting. It's just it's an interesting sort of thing 
to me that these two guys are, are matched up when you can write so many words about their respective fastballs. So one thing I'm disappointed about, Andrew, is we're not going to get to see our friend Luke Scott in this race series because he just got put really on the disabled list. <laughs> I, I saw the best stat ever, uh, and I don't have it in front of me anymore, but it was like Luke Scott is like, oh, for his last 50-something against every team except the Indians. And against the Indians, he's really, really good. He's like 12 for, for his last 26 or something like that. Wow. And because it's Luke Scott and he's got all these weird racist type stories, I'm not calling him a racist. I'm just saying that's sort of the... There's the, anecdotal evidence that makes you scratch your head. Yeah, it's funny that he just beats up on the Indians. who That's a racist team name with a racist mascot. And uh, he can't hit anybody else. It's just, it's very, very amusing. Of course, when he was on the Orioles, it was the Tigers he was always good against. That's true. So, I don't know. It's maybe like, he just rotates every year. Or maybe none of that stuff means anything. It's all statistical noise, as the uh, as the XKCD comic says. What is it? A weight of random number generator? Just spit out a new bunch of numbers? Let's build narratives. Let's use now. it to build narratives. Yeah. Right, exactly. All yeah, sports he comics. wasn't good against the Tigers. He just happened to get hot when they were playing the Tigers. It happens. It's not a story. It's that's that's all it is. Yeah. He's not specifically great against the Indians pitchers. He doesn't, you know, sit up straight. He sees or, the ball really well when he's uh, at the right. at the progressive yeah. field or whatever. I'm sure that's totally true. And he sees the ball terribly other times. It's just a weird thing, but it's cool. It's one of the cool things about baseball. Yes. So some guys that we will see coming into Baltimore that have been hitting very well for the Rays. Ben Zobrist. What, this guy is ridiculous. Like, he just came out of nowhere, and now, like, several years in a row, he's just putting up great on-base percentage, slugging, whatever. This year he's batting 252. Okay, whatever. But 380 on-base percentage. Anytime you're creeping up near that 400, I just start drooling. Yeah. And... 452 slugging. So you look at his OPS, that's what, 832? That's pretty good in the current era of Major League Baseball. Um, Matt Joyce, 273 average, 378 on base percentage, 491 slugging, also pretty good. And what is this? Jeff Kepinger. Jeff Kepinger? <laughs> he's, he's only got 180 plate appearances. He's batting 325, 394 on base percentage with a 438 slugging. Like, how did the Rays just get this guy to come out of nowhere? It's not like he's a young prospect. He's 31 years old. He spent, like, his whole career in the NL before, from 2004 up until now. And he just plays, what, I mean, get, what is that, utility infielder? I don't even know. And, uh, and he's just got a 394 on base percentage. That's ridiculous. How do you do that? If you're the Tampa Bay Rays, that's the extra 2% in play right there is they figured out Jeff Kepinger was the guy they wanted to get and brought him in, and then he was what they wanted him to be. It's just kind of blows my mind. And, I mean, and again, and you want to compare that to, like, all those guys have an on-base percentage higher than anyone on the Orioles, where the highest is Nick Markakis with a 347 going into today. Sorry, he went up one point today. So Nick Markakis has a 348 because he went uh, two for five. So 
that's the highest on the Orioles. And there's three guys I just named on the race who are all getting on base at a greater pace than the best Oriole. And one of them is Jeff Cabinet. And that wasn't even counting Evan Longoria, who got hurt after playing 23 games, who was probably still had a small hurt. sample size and still hurt, yeah. But uh, So we won't see him, but he had a 329 batting average, 433 on base, 561 slugging. Whoa, that was pretty good. But he's hurt, and that was a small sample size. So even when he comes back, probably won't be that. But it just, it just amazes me the way other teams can do that. But the, And all, all three of these guys are guys that they just sort of picked up relatively cheaply. Right. You know, the, not a lot of fanfare around any of those moves when they were made. I think Ben Zobris came over uh, in maybe the Aubrey Huff trade. Uh, yeah, yeah, traded with Mitch Talbot to the Devil Rays for Aubrey Huff in 2006. Yeah, that was sort of a nothing deal. Right, and then he, so he, so he, Zobris played 52 games in 2006. 260 on base percentage, 31 games in 2007, 184 on base percentage. And then all of a sudden, 2008, they play him in 62 games, boom. 253 average, 339 on base, 505 slugging. Next year, he's on there the full season. Yeah. 297, 405, 543. What? It becomes like an MVP and candidate out of nowhere. What is that? Eight, that's 8.7 fan graphs, wins above replacement. Yeah, and that might even be underselling him because so much positional of, versatility right. is the Venzoris yeah, thing. Yeah, so he could exactly. play at all those infield positions or even like corner outfield, I think. And the battle play anywhere if he's hitting like that. And then uh, Matt Joyce was traded one for one for Edwin Jackson from the Tigers. So, you know, I seem to recall that that trade, the reaction was like, what are the Rays doing? giving up on Edwin Jackson. Why would they just give up on this guy for a minor leaguer? Well, they knew what they were getting in Matt Joyce, apparently. Right, and now, like, he's here. Yeah, he's sort of a platoon-type bat, but, you know, he can really, really hit against uh, against one one side of it so far. I mean, like, righties. He, can, he, he matches righties, of course. So that's what's coming up for the Orioles. We basically just got to strap in and ride the roller coaster as the... Uh, as the stadium promo goes, maybe if you wave your arms really enthusiastically, you'll get some free Hershey Park tickets. Now, I, I really think that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen on the Jumbotron. You don't like Hershey Park? I love Hershey Park, but that promo is just really stupid. Do you hate America, too? No. No, I do not hate America. When did you stop hating America? Oh, boy. <laughs> Andrew. It's final thought time, so for that you need to go right now and give. I have I have a question for you for my final thought. Okay. Uh, I was like I said I was at the Mets game. I was thinking the whole time I was there. City Field is super nice. It's it's amazingly well done, and and I just like the general Mets aesthetic. I like a lot of the players on the Mets. I have no problem saying that the Mets are my National League team, if that's something that you want to believe it. Well, I mean, because Mr. Mets like is like the only different. mascot in baseball that is remotely close to as cool as the Oriole bird. Yeah, I, I love Mr. Mets, you know. But the, the truth is I have like six different National League teams that I really like. And uh, well, probably even more than that. But like, you know, do you do you have a National League team or, or just a second team in the in the AL or is that stupid? Do you think that's stupid? Well, I would say my thing is when the playoffs start and the Orioles have historically not been in the playoffs, 
I just kind of try and look and decide who I like. Just as a kind of, mm-hmm. I think what we talked about in the playoff season last year is kind of a just playoff rooting interest. And I'm not really invested, but I just think, ah, this guy's on this team. That would be cool if he won. Uh, so, for instance, when the Giants won the World Series, I decided I would like the Giants that postseason because I just thought they had some characters on their team. And, uh, <laughs> they sure did. You know, and then there's also orange and black connection with the team colors. So I was like, okay, I, you know, I like the Giants, but I really don't make up my mind about that until like September or something. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I don't know that I could tell you right now what's the, the team I most like in the National League. It's not the Nationals is all I can say. Not going to be the Nationals. <laughs> I really like the Nationals. I'm going to be honest. Yes. They're, they're one of those. Boo. Boo this man. Uh, you're, you're stupid for just hating on the Nationals. I know. That's what you are. I know. I am stupid, but I'm a Baltimore guy, and that's that. Hey, I am too. I love Baltimore. I love everything about Baltimore. Except that Baltimore hates D.C. You don't love that part. Uh, Baltimore doesn't hate D.C. Some people in Baltimore hate D.C. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm one of them, so that's life. What What is my final thought? I guess I better have one. Yeah, what is your final thought? Well... Tommy Hunter, five runs all earned, is actually going to pitch the last Cleveland game. It's you unlikely, feel good about that? It's unlikely he learned anything in his, I don't know, did he even make a start in AAA? He probably made one this time. Uh, he made it. One or two. A couple, yeah. I, I'm sure he didn't learn anything, but maybe there were lessons that needed to be beaten into his head <laughs> at the major league level that finally sunk in now. I don't know. Boy, that is a... Uh... I, I don't think you're going to be happy with what happens if that's what you think has, has occurred. No, I don't think that's what's has occurred, but maybe it could happen. I mean, the first of the five-game winning streak was Tommy Hunter. Quality start, five straight quality starts, and the first one was Tommy Hunter. So crazier things have happened than having the six straight quality start with Tommy Hunter. It wasn't he got better. No, he it had, a, he he had a good game. Right, it was a good game. Maybe he'll have another good game, that's all. That's all I'm saying. But probably he won't, because he's Tommy Hunter. And I have no <laughs> expectation that he'll have a good game, but it could happen. It'd be pretty sweet if he had a good game. Yes. So Sweep? Got a sweep? That would be that would be pretty good. Got a sweep up Cleveland. I saw something on the Twitter earlier that the last... And then this is another one of those fluke baseball stats. The last time the Orioles swept four in a row at Cleveland, it's 1971... And apparently, is that a good year for the apparently Mike Cuellar, Pat Dobson, and Jim Palmer all earned their 20th wins during that sweep. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that was that was a pretty good year for the Orioles. So uh, you know, there's one of those little karma things if if they manage to pull off the sweep, which again, they're going to need a to have their bats solve the sinker ball or Justin Masterson, and b Tommy Hunter have a decent enough outing that whatever the offense musters uh, will win. So, you know, I don't I don't feel very good about it, but stranger things have happened. Like, the whole of the first 95 games of this season, which has the Orioles still in the second wildcard spot, tied right now. Dude, what is that about? I still can't figure it out. I don't know. There's nothing to figure out? Yeah, it's weird. Just enjoy it's it. It's weird, but it's awesome while it lasts. And yeah, I'm just trying to enjoy it while I can. So... We're running down to the end of our time here. Andrew wants to go watch Breaking Bad. I gotta watch Breaking Bad. I need to get on that bandwagon. Uh, I'm not yet. So, a little bit of plug action. You can follow Andrew on Twitter. He's at GibsonAndrew. 
and I am at Eat More S K E S S K A Y, like the hot dogs, where you could taste the difference quality makes, because that's their slogan, you know. And you can also follow Cam to Chat on Twitter. It's just at Cam to Chat. Uh, that is Stacy. Whenever the Bobblehead Factory lets her out, and it auto tweets whenever an article is posted. So if you have a busy life and you can't check on the site, you can just follow the Twitter timeline. And by the same token, Facebook.com slash Camden Chat, and you will occasionally find whatever we add on there, and you can build your social capital or whatever the marketing buzzword is. I don't know. I don't believe in that crap, but maybe, maybe you would like some. If, if there is social capital to be had on Camden Chat, you can be the coolest Orioles fan you know by linking to the coolest Orioles website on the internet. Yeah. That wasn't a good slogan. Whatever. That's wow. that's all that's all we've got. For we need to refine that one yeah. a little bit. That's what I get when I spit it off the top of my head. But that is all we have for tonight. So we will be back next week. Maybe we'll have a Yankees fan next week. It's not certain yet. But uh, get yourself psyched up to boo them telepathically or whatever. But that's all we have for tonight. So for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out. <laughs>